I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Today, we're going to meet celebrity divorce lawyer and family law attorney, Laura Wasser. In the male-dominated world of celebrity splits, Laura became a powerful thought leader and change agent. Dubbed the Disso Queen by TMZ, Wasser handled divorces for Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt, the Kardashians, Ryan Reynolds, Heidi Klum, Johnny Depp, and many more. Her podcast is called Divorce Sucks, and it aims to help people approach these new life chapters in a positive way. Wasser believes that the gap between her high-end clients and those who divorce online is just one of zeros in their bank account. To help ordinary folks navigate divorce, she created OverEasy, an online do-it-yourself template for marriage dissolution. With OverEasy, Wasser wants to help aid a shift away from the combative Kramer versus Kramer model of divorce and move to a healthier way to deal amicably, keeping things neutral to positive. So let's rewind to the beginning to hear more from this dynamic leader in conscious uncoupling as we say it forward with Laura Wasser. We've known each other, uh, I've known you peripherally for many, many years because you've touched the lives of a lot of people that I know because you're a world-famous divorce attorney. In my business, we we say that you have a big stick. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, your client list is kind of bold face names, people like Chris Pratt, Anna Ferris, the Kardashians, Ryan Reynolds, Heidi Klum, Johnny Depp, some complicated, sometimes very public divorces. Yes. So In California, t- we um, don't seal our divorce proceedings. So the minute something gets filed, everybody is aware of it, which makes it a little bit stickier as you're going through what is often not a very good time in your life. And as yeah. the attorney for some of these folks, um, it makes everything magnified by about a thousand. So it's like a beat for journalists in L.A. Oh, to yeah. just be watching Absolutely. That. Absolutely. When something gets filed at Los Angeles Superior Court, which is, you know, the, the courthouse that most of the people in the entertainment industry will be filing in if they live in Southern California, uh, it, there's nothing illegal. Once it's filed, it's public. And so those clerks are absolutely free to call up whomever it is at TMC, Radar, The Blast. There are representatives from those news organizations downtown waiting around at the courthouse. And so... As an attorney, the folks at my firm, we have to be very careful about that. When we file, how we file, how it's done, we want to make sure that the clients and their significant others or spouses are aware of it beforehand because it's really not fun to find out um, that you're getting divorced by uh, listening to it on the radio or on TMZ. And it's interesting because it's like if a normal person gets divorced, there's no strategy about when to file other than something having to do with the two peoples being present in town or something like that. Correct. This is a whole other layer of strategy. Yes. Yes, which it didn't, again, when I started practicing 25 years ago, it wasn't quite like that because we weren't on such a 24-7 immediate news cycle. And now you really do have to take that into consideration. Let's start back a little bit. Can we wind back to the beginning? Are you from California? Yes, I grew up here. I went to Beverly Hills High School. So this is your your, um, hometown. Yes. You you came here. Did you stay? Where did you go to school? 
for college. Yeah. I went to NYU and then I went to Cal, graduated from Cal. Did you know that this was what your path was going to be? I know your dad is a uh, equally famous divorce lawyer. Yes. He knew. My parents knew. I was conceived the night that my parents found out that my dad passed the California bar exam that you need to take to be a lawyer. <laughs> so they decided <laughs> that it would be cute to make my initials L-A-W. So I'm Laura Allison Wasser. <laughs> And if you had asked me when I was 10, 15, even 20, do you think you're going to be a lawyer? I would have said absolutely not. That I'm going to be doing something that is far more interesting and glamorous and wonderful. I'm not going to be a lawyer, and I'm certainly not going to be a family law attorney practicing in the same field as my father. And yet, here we are. I, I, I decided to go to law school after I graduated from Cal um, because my parents said, we will continue to pay for you as long as you're in school. If you're out of school, you better have you're a job, your you're on your own. And medical school wasn't going to work out for me, so law school <laughs> was great. I was a rhetoric major at Berkeley, um, which I loved. And so it seemed a really good, you know, next step. What is a rhetoric? I transferred from NYU to Cal because it is one of the few schools in the country that has a rhetoric department. Rhetoric is where you focus on the the argument or the persuasion of whatever the artist, poet, writer was trying to make. So if you we would take the rhetoric of um, painting and look at very famous paintings, but not from an art history perspective, but what was the artist trying to convey via these brush strokes or the shadows? Rhetoric of avant-garde poetry, the rhetoric of the romantic comedies of Preston Sturgis. I mean, when we watched these films and what was the argument they were trying to make? And then there was also like a speaking component. There was public speaking, there was some debate, and I loved it because I really like public speaking. I like thinking about what you know the argument is, and of course it totally lends itself to a career in litigation, which is what most family law attorneys do. It's not transactional. We have to be ready to go to court at any time. We have to be really persuasive, not just to a judicial officer, but hopefully to our own clients to say, I know you feel that way, but I'm telling you from the outside looking in, here's what we need to do to get this problem solved. And so it it totally worked out. That's exactly what it was supposed to be. So that's about trust, that whole process, right? I think so. I think so. Did you at that point know that you were going to become a lawyer then, or were you still mulling over in your mind? <laughs> when I was because that law would school, seem to lend itself to it, being. It did, but I also, I mean, it lent it lended itself to many other things as well because I was able to be such a dilettante being a rhetoric major. I think after my kind of you know first semester of declaring a major, I thought, well, maybe I should apply to law school. That actually makes sense. By the way, at the time, I was also kind of commuting back and forth to Madrid, Spain, because I was dating a guy that was that. Lived in Spain. So I did my last semester of college writing my honors thesis about uh, the rhetoric of Margaret Atwood's feminist, you know, fiction in Spain. Came back, walked the line at Cal, and then went back to Spain. And then actually, after my second year of law school back here in California, married the guy that I had been dating. And then after my third year of law school and after I took the bar, got divorced. So I actually, my my first divorce that I did was my own divorce. Process. Was it yes. pleasant? It was as pleasant as you can imagine because of the benefits of it were we didn't have anything. We hadn't been married very long. We were both only 25 years old. 
I mean, the irony of it was we had this humongous wedding at the Beller Hotel, and I had 10 bridesmaids, and he had 10 groomsmen, and they were gorgeous American, Californian, European people, you know, and everybody's family, his big Roman Catholic family, he was one of five. We had a judicial officer that has was longtime friends with my father, marry us, and it was a gorgeous wedding. In fact, the picture of me and my 10 bridesmaids hung in the Bel Air Hotel wedding office for about <laughs> well after the marriage was over, like 10 years or something. And of course, that was like the wedding season. Five times as long as your marriage. Everyone's getting married, and they're like saying, oh my God, this wedding picture is so amazing. I said, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Are you guys friends to this day? We are. I mean, he now lives in, he lived in Mexico for a while. He's remarried pretty quickly thereafter um, and has a daughter. And I think they now live in Texas. I'm very good friends with his younger brother who still comes over to our house probably like once every couple of weeks for dinner. My kids call him Uncle Felipe, but they're not quite sure why because <laughs> they've never actually met his brother. Yeah, and we still have a lot of mutual friends. I mean, that was a really important time in my life. And I, I had dinner last week with another friend of ours from Madrid who came in town. So, And he actually did, my ex call me on the day that each of my kids were born, kind of coincidentally on the first one and the second one. But we do not have a ton of contact, but absolutely friendly. No advice. hatred. God, no. Then I have, uh, you said, is there any hatred? I also have two other exes, probably a little bit more significant uh, even than my husband because I have kids with them. So I have a 14-year-old son with one ex and I have a nine-and-a-half-year-old son with another ex. I wasn't married to either of them, but we all, had, not all together, but we lived together. And I think we split up in each instance when each of my kids was two. So maybe that's kind of like my sell-by date <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But we all get along really well. And my kids wow. are amazingly well-adjusted. And we don't have a piece of paper between us at all. And the financial arrangements, the scheduling, the academics, the religion, the camps, we work it out. It's not always peachy keen hunky-dory, but we really developed very good communication skills during our relationships that has enabled us to kind of carry that into after the relationships, at least the romantic parts of them ended. And I think the simplest way of saying it is we all really have each other's backs. What is your disposition towards the whole institution, given I, what you do every day? I think marriage, I think weddings are great, put it that way. And, <laughs> and I also kind of have always felt like after that wedding that I just explained that was so gorgeous, I kind of don't need to do it again. Like you, everybody should have a wedding. Weddings yeah. are beautiful and they're so fun and you feel so special and it's great. And it's a great celebration of love and commitment and family. I just didn't have to do it again. Um, I think in both of those cases, we talked about it. Also, as a family law attorney, I kind of, since I do know the law so well, I'm not super comfortable agreeing to that set of rules in the state of California. I don't need to. I like kind of being able to dictate my own rules for what I do with my money. And so I didn't love that. Obviously, you could do a prenuptial agreement, but we just didn't need that for our commitment to each other. Isn't it interesting, though, because when we go into a marriage, most of us are not thinking about the fact that we're signing off to rules that are dictated by the state. Correct. Can you talk about that in simple yes. terms for our audience? Yes, absolutely. Because I do speak with a lot of young people about prenuptial agreements. And that's another thing that's like so taboo. Oh, God, you got a prenup. You, you pre-negotiated your divorce and all that. Right. So many people that come to see me when they are getting divorced or thinking about getting divorced, so many of the people that kind of reach out to us from the podcast or the website 
are just bewildered to realize that they are that they are going to be ruled by this set of laws. And it's amazing to me that you could enter into a contract and not know what the terms are. And I say to people all the time, so you're getting married, right? And so you rent the venue and you get your florist and you get your dress and you get your caterer and you get your band or string quartet or whatever it is. You're signing contracts with all of these vendors, all of these different people or, or organizations. And yet the biggest contract that you're entering into is with your about-to-be spouse and you don't even know what the terms of the contract are. You could probably tell me the cancellation policy on that <laughs> restaurant or hotel where you're having your wedding because you've poured over this thing and it's important and this becomes your job planning this wedding. But you're getting married and you are agreeing that everything that you earn, at least if you live in a community property state like California, everything you earn during the period of time you're married is going to be shared 50-50. And if you're the breadwinner or you make more money and you split up, you're going to pay support to the other person. People say, what? well, okay, but I'm not going to give her half my IRA, right? I mean, yeah, you are. Or, well, I'm not going to have to pay for, you know, her, just the kids, right? Nope, her too. All the time. And so I think it is really interesting. And all I ask, okay, I mean, look, I, I think marriage is great. I think prenups are fine. Whatever works for you, just come into it with some knowledge. Just educate yourself a little bit because with a little bit of information, we can make better decisions about what we're, what we're entering into and how we're conducting ourselves. Have you seen a lot of change in divorce? In the tw- you've been practicing 20, 25 years? Like- uh, I have sadly not seen that much change. You know, they say the law is the last thing to change. Finally, we have same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. which is, from a legal perspective, hugely important, not just from a civil rights perspective. But we were treating same-sex couples with a totally different set of standards from heterosexual couples, and that seemed patently unfair. As an example, if you were not married and you are now divided, if you wanted to be treated like you're married, so you're going to divide up everything you have or you're going to pay support to the other person, you were going to get taxed on that money as a gift because you can make a tax-free gift or transfer to a spouse. Between heterosexual right. spouses. Exactly. But if you if you couldn't get married, also there were a ton of like palimony claims, Marvin actions, and people would say, well, if you would have gotten if you would have been married, we would treat you differently. And one person would say, well, we would have gotten married, but we couldn't get married. Okay, so now you can get married. So if you're not married, don't bring a Marvin action. So um, that's been one big change. I've also seen not an actual statutory change, but just slowly a change in the approach to how um, judges view custody for dads particularly. Um, And we've done it faster and better here in California than in other states. New York State is better too. But it used to be, you know, for years, dad got, you know, every other weekend and maybe a Wednesday or whatever. We are much more prone to start from a place of equal custody for both parents, which is great. Again, there's no law on it, but that's pretty much what we're doing. But yeah, besides that, the law has not changed that much. And what's really interesting and only what I've learned in the past two years as I've started getting more involved in the other states in the United States is they're slow too, real slow. How many states are community property states? I think there's only nine. And so the rest of them are dictated by a different set of rules. Well, the only other set of rules is called equitable distribution, which was is still kind of like, well, it's still 
almost ends up being about equal, but there's other things that feed into what actually is equitable distribution. So whereas for years there was fault, the fault system, you cheated on me, you abandoned me, you did this. Now we don't have that. I mean, even if there is a situation where there's been domestic violence, in most cases that doesn't necessarily affect the division of property. It could affect support because if you've been beaten for years and years and years, you may not be able to get back into the workforce as easily. But really, but for that, those other factors are fault-based and we don't recognize them in California or pretty much any of the other states. There's a couple states you can still choose fault if you want. But if you're an equitable distribution state, sometimes people are still raising those things and saying, well, she did sleep with the tennis instructor, so maybe she shouldn't be getting exactly half because she wasn't really there for him during the marriage, earning the money or whatever. And mostly it still shakes out pretty equal is what my colleagues in you know New York State, for example, which is equitable distribution, what they tell me. But it is different in other states. So those are, most, are the two schemes. Are most divorces, do you see, uh, this is a highly personal question, but is it about cheating for the most part? No. I mean, I don't think so. Cheating is often a symptom of a problem. People have kind of drifted apart. Somebody's not getting what they need from the relationship. The communication is poor. And they are easily susceptible to somebody else making them feel good, sexy, important, strong. For a very long time, right? (laughs) Yes, for a very long time. And so, yeah, then, you know, they stray from the marriage, whether it's online with somebody that they're just having conversations with late at night, whether it's actually physical, sexual, whether it's one person or many people. So I know that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But Mm -hmm. really, that is a symptom as opposed to the actual problem. You just can't account for the social currency that gets divided not equitably and the heartbreak that comes from all that peripheral stuff, right? Absolutely true. And again, we're a very kind of instant gratification-oriented society. And so, and particularly here in Southern California, you do see it more. And with high net worth individuals, you know, the newer, better, bigger model or, you know, or the younger, brighter, you know, shinier model. And so people sometimes, you know, I say often when they come to my office, the first thing is I ask if they're in therapy or any kind of counseling or anything like that, because you should be, you should be able to having, have conversations about how you're feeling and what you're going through with somebody more qualified than me, your divorce lawyer, especially at the hourly rate that we will charge at the firm. Yeah, it's cheaper people, to see a therapist than pay you. It is. It really <laughs> is. But I also think that what people discount is, and when you say, like, just chill, take a beat, whatever, if it's not his shit, it's going to be somebody else's shit. Yeah. I mean, this is going to keep That's happening. That's the thing. It's like, what's wrong with right. you, you know? So, just, so he's you know, perfect now. Guess what? Live with him for a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, sometimes people really do. Maybe they shouldn't have gotten married in the first place. Maybe they grew up and grew apart. They say that the divorce rate is decreasing because people are waiting longer to get married. That may be true. I think they're looking at numbers that may skew differently from who's actually getting married versus who's getting divorced. I will tell you, as a private practitioner, we have not seen any kind of decline in the divorce rate. And that's a very kind of specialized area with these high net worth, you know, high profile individuals, but also looking across the country at what we're seeing on the lower economic side of it with the website, I don't notice that there's been a big, you know, drop in divorce. There may have been a drop in marriages and that therefore will eventually result in the drops Mm -hmm. in divorce. People are waiting and they're also living together and not worrying so much about getting married. 
let's live together and see how that works. I have a question. It's kind of a crazy way of asking. Say I want to get divorced. What's something I can do to almost guarantee that uh, the person I'm married to is just going to be like, that's it? Like, what have you seen that's sort of the sort of deal breaker, last straw, usually? Like, what is the thing that is most deadly to a marriage? Refusal to participate in therapy. I mean, I've seen people that cheat on each other. I've seen people that really can be emotionally abusive. But when somebody says, I, I won't go, I don't want to go to therapy, I don't believe in it, I don't care, whatever, that is the most common reason that I've seen that someone goes, well, there's nothing I can do. I right. can't work on it if he or she is not willing to talk to me or, or get into a room. Right. Who is on your team in your company? Do you have mediators who sort of pre-digest what's going on on your behalf or do you go directly, like, how does it work? Well, if somebody calls so there's 20 of us at the firm. Uh, uh-huh. And if somebody calls the office to speak with me, they'll speak with my assistant and she kind of screens them, make sure there's no conflict. We're not representing the spouse, get some information. Are there kids? Is this going to be a custody case? Is it going to be division? I mean, what is it? And then if it makes sense and if I've got time and whatever, we'll either I'll get on the phone with them, set a meeting. And then once I've met the person and if they're if they like me and I like them, I'll usually bring in one of my other partners or associates. So that's usually at least two people on the case. I also do mediation. Um, I don't do a ton of it because it's a lot of work, but there have been in the past year or so a few um, cases that I've either known both parties or they really lend themselves to mediation. And Mm -hmm. so I'll say to them, do you want me to mediate it? Mm -hmm. And I'll just be their mediator. So they'll both call me. I'll present options for both of them. And Thus far, we've had pretty good luck with it. Nobody's it's highly emotional, out. though, isn't it, when you sit in these rooms? A lot of times I'll do what we call shuttle diplomacy and go back and forth between the rooms, speak mm-hmm. with them separately. So whereas one can call up and say, she's a fucking asshole and da-da-da-da-da, yeah. you know, because she asked for this, then I can kind of, you know, diplomatically say, he's real upset that you asked for this. Is there a way that, you know, and that often will help kind of take it down or, or chill, as you said, Rebecca, right. chill it out. Yeah, chill it out for sure. I mean, I, particularly people that have been together for a long time. Yeah. You know, they get some themselves so worked up. And I, I see in my in my career, I've seen people realize short time, you know, one, two, three years, I shouldn't have done that. Right. And those are fairly easy. You know, you right. you, you know it, she knows it, you know, and there hasn't been a lot of uh, accumulation. But the people who I know who have thought to get divorced, they've been together for 20 years, those are mean. They're, they get, and they're emotional and they're ravaging for one party or another. Well, and that's why I will say to those people, you got to kind of look back. You've had some good times. There must have been some love there. Often if it's 20 years, they've had some kids. Let's focus on that. Let's right. focus on the good and figure out what we need to do to extricate you from this. You're still going to know this person for the rest of your life. I mean, you are. You just, even if your kids are grown, there's going to be, you know, graduations, weddings, you know, delivery rooms where they're having kids, bar mitzvahs. Right. You need to be able to, and my parents were really good at this too. They both walked me down the aisle when I got married. They were both at my college and uh, law school graduations. They were both there when I had both of my kids. They get along really well. They always made sure that no matter what, my brother and I felt like 
we were the priority, we were first, and any bad feelings that they may have had for each other were secondary to showing up for us. We have Thanksgiving together every year. Mm -hmm. And then my exes come with my kids. I mean, everybody's there. <laughs> yeah. I have a Should whole wing a TV of show table. I know, life. they've tried to make TV shows. Well, when I, I remember... <laughs> can't cast that many people, though. <laughs> I remember oh, when I got divorced, um, I had been with my first husband for like 10 years. I met him in college and, you know, we basically went through our 20s together and then got divorced. I read a book called Uncoupling and one of the ideas inside of it was that the ultimate sort of positive position is one of neutrality mm -hmm. of of not carrying around a bunch of like metaphorical baggage about your relationship and trying to work together to get to a point of just detente neutrality right. and um I guess the the question I have for you is how do you encourage your clients like it sounds like you do really encourage your clients to do this how do you advise them going forward to sort of accomplish it one thing that I will often say is if this was an issue during your marriage. The good part of it is that you don't have to deal with that issue on the same level anymore. Mm -hmm. But you are going to still have to deal with that issue because this is a person with whom you're going to have to communicate, particularly if you have kids. Treat this part of it while we're here in the divorce, which hopefully doesn't last more than 6, 12, 18 months as a business transaction. Really, really try to take the emotion out of it. It's going to take you more than 6, 12, 18 months to kind of grieve this part of the relationship. But then the business part of it will be done, the legal part. You won't have spent a ton of money doing it. You'll then deal with your own and I guess with him or her on kind of that emotional grieving. And then you got to move on. Have you met people that like got divorced 25 years ago and they're still, you can still see how angry they are? I mean, I don't know if their ex-spouse is still that angry, but I sit there looking at those people going, wow. Right. What a burden to carry mm -hmm. that around for yeah. so many mm -hmm. years. You we were done. talking about somebody before who's just yeah. to yeah. this day, 15 years later, you know, just, no, no, and that hasn't been with another guy. Right. And there's like, an opportunity for freedom from that. And that's absolutely. what you encourage. That's really beautiful, actually, because it's like a counselor kind of position, not just a legal counselor. Yeah, well, we talk about it like, you know, this is your new beginning. I mean, as when I started the website last year, it was really about because all these years that I've been practicing family law. And I did, it started, I wrote a book in 2013 called It Doesn't Have to Be that way. And as a result of writing that book and speaking to groups about that book and just my philosophy, which again, is not that novel. It's just let's get along, get through this and move on in the less, least expensive, both emotionally and financially way possible. Then I thought, how do we really spread this message? How mm -hmm. do we keep this conversation going? Before we go to the it's over easy tool, basically, that you've created, I have a question and it, it goes back to something you were talking about before, which is a positive development. But it has an edge to it, and that is this notion of equal custody between mother and father and just the logistics of that for the children. I, I have a member of my family who's divorced in the last five years, and the divorce adversely affected her kids educationally because they were traveling back and forth so much, and they were – they didn't have roots in one place. They had to kind of move distance right. uh, based on where they live. What? How do you help – advise around that particular matter. It's one of the first things that we talk about, which is where's everyone going to live? Mm -hmm. I mean, often if you have one family residence, a lot of times that's the family's most expensive asset. So a lot of times that gets sold. So now you're 
living in other places. Or maybe one person will keep the family residence and the other person has to find somewhere else. I always say, I know that we're talking about starting new and next chapters and all that, but you have to find somewhere that's going to be close enough for your kids. I mean, it's one of the first things if there's kids, where is each of you going to live? What is the custody arrangement going to be? Where's the school? Because you're right, a ton of time in the car, it doesn't make sense. And there are orders that some judges will make that the parents, if they're sharing custody, can't live more than X miles apart. In L.A., <laughs> it could be 10 miles and you're still in the car for two hours. Yeah, so right. you really have to, I mean, we, we do driving things. We figure out how long it is to make arguments. That's a big, big part of it because once you decide that you're going to have kids, whether you're married or not, you need to be able to make a commitment for the next 20 some odd years that those kids are going to be a priority for you. You really, really do. And almost everybody comes into my office and says, my kids are the priority. But in many cases, because we're going through a difficult emotional time, they don't always put the kids as a priority. So when you say, okay, you're finding this place, and I get it, you always wanted to live on the beach, and that's going to be so great, but your kids are at school in the valley, and your ex lives in, you know, wherever, in, in West Hollywood. It's already a drive from West Hollywood to the valley. You're going to live in Malibu? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Let's rethink this for now. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, that is. It's hard. It's not academically they suffer. They, you don't want them in the car for an hour and a half every day, you know, on an iPad. That doesn't make sense. So mm -hmm. No, and they have to have two rooms where yeah. they have to. I have a friend of mine who got divorced from his wife, and they, they kept the family house. Right. And each of them got an apartment. Nesting. And, Th they, and, they, and, the, and the kids lot, stay yeah. in the same house. And then the parents rotate back and forth. They have a week on, a week off. Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially during transition periods. It's a little more expensive, periods. I think, though, right? It can be more expensive. I mean, sometimes the, the parents will get one apartment and rotate out of that. You have to really be considerate of your ex. You don't mm -hmm. want to leave stuff around. You, you know? <laughs> right. It's, it, it's a little bit of a stumbling block in terms of really starting fresh on your own. But again, in in terms of a transition move, it's excellent. It's really, really good for the kids to be able to do that for some time if you can. And then, you know, a year after, then maybe you sell the family residence and buy two places, but they need to be close and you need to be able to work with each other. We are really lucky these days that we have so many different great technologies, co-parenting apps, texting, WhatsApp, FaceTiming. It makes it so much easier to share custody, not just because you don't have to have everything in a in a written, you know, face-to-face -face conversation. My exes and I text all day long every day about everything. You picking up here? Do you have this? Do you have the homework folder? Whatever. We also all live close to each other. That helps. I mean, yeah. but imagine doing it 25, 30, 40 years ago. It was definitely, there was more animosity because it was always in person, face-to-face uh, -face or over the phone, which is like, you can't really tone it down if you're yeah. really angry. This way you can write it. You have a little time. Like I said, great co-parenting app portals where you can plug stuff in and send it and keep it and add to the calendar and take away from the calendar. So we're lucky. We just have to really start taking advantage of these things. And as professionals, make our clients aware of them. Yeah. A lot of times too, I think that years, divorces from years ago, frequently the woman didn't work. Right. Today, I'm, I'm assuming that you see more, uh, both people are have have careers. To a certain extent, yeah. But not entirely? <laughs> not entirely. No. Not entirely. I mean, there are a lot of wealthy people that we work with at the firm where one or the other doesn't work. It's not always the women. There's a lot of breadwinner women mm -hmm. that come in, and they're often the most surprised to say, well, wait a minute. We got married in business school. We were both shining stars. I don't know what happened, but he's been on the couch for 15 years. I still have to pay a nanny, a housekeeper, so it's hardly like he's a stay-home dad. I mean, he's home. Right. But 
still I'm still doing everything. And I have to give him half my money. I made all the money, and so I, I want to get divorced now. And I say, great, okay, so here's what you have in your accounts. We're going to split that. You're going to pay him. And they say, well, wait, wait, wait. I thought this albatross was being cut from around my neck. I have to still write him a check. So yeah, and I said, "Well, did you think that just because you're the woman, you don't have to?" And yeah, they, she said, "I didn't even think." I've about seen that. that. I know yeah. you're a hundred percent right. And they were like, "I'm giving him half my IRA." Mm-hmm. You know, some people have they're shocked, but that's a good thing, right? I mean, at least they've come along to the place now that it's becoming more commonplace. That's true. I have seen a lot less divorces recently than I had before in my in twenty years and the early twenty years. People that were in their late thirties and forties were frequently divorcing. I'm not seeing that as much people in their 50s and 60s. They sort of taken a deep breath and they go like, okay. We made it you know. through the tough part. <laughs> yeah, we made it through the together. tough part. <laughs> it's you know. also just the reality of as you age, because I'm of a certain age, and you just start to go, oh, God, <laughs> do I really want to get out there? Really, you know? I'll tell you, though, I do. I see them. I was telling Rebecca before, I had two cases last year where the clients were all in their late 70s, early 80s. I have a ton of people in their 50s. I think another thing that happens is, depending on when you have kids, when you are getting into your late 40s, yeah, and 50s, the kids have now grown leaving. up, and so now you look at each other and say, "God, I, I, why are we still in this?" Yeah. So that does happen. There's just different waves of it. Also, it, we have this cluster effect when one person in kind of a group gets divorced, then a lot of them start falling apart. So it just depends. I haven't really seen a, a downtick in what I'm experiencing, but I'm also getting <laughs> yeah. a lot of like a new influx of a whole younger crowd, people that are in their 30s and 40s and got yeah. getting divorced after, you know, somewhere between one and 10 years. Yeah. What is the circumstances around which somebody would get a post-nup? If something changes, if one, if they hadn't thought about a prenup before and now, or they got married really quickly and they say, wait a minute, I did this, whatever. And often the spouse is going to say, oh, so bad, so sad, too bad. We're already married. I'm not going to agree to that. But sometimes maybe there's a big change in what has happened. There is a big inheritance, which the other person wouldn't necessarily get a part of. But if I'm going to inherit millions of dollars, and if you actually want me to use that money to improve our lifestyle, I may want you to agree that if we split up, that doesn't get included in the in the income available for support, mm-hmm. something like that, or something happens with a company, you know. There are th- you know often people will come in because they're on the precipice of divorce, and they say, well, if I'm going to stay together, I want a postnup. Not the healthiest way of approaching it, but something to think about. Again, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we're trying to do here. Let's be really transparent about it, and let's see if we can make it work. What do you advise? Uh, how do you coach people who come to you and say, I want to have the prenup conversation? Like, how does one have that conversation as gently and effectively as possible? I get asked that a lot. And I usually get asked that by men. Women somehow seem to figure it out on their own. Um, I I will often say that you should have that conversation early on and before you give them a ring. Okay, because you would like to have it before once you're engaged, then you'd have to break off the engagement if she or he didn't, you know, respond well. So I'd say right from the beginning. Now, again, if you're already in it and they're calling me after the engagement and before they've actually set the wedding date, I say I think you need to approach it from a really healthy, loving place, which is 
you know, you go to dinner. If you, assuming neither one of you is a sober person, you get a bottle of wine and you really say, I want to talk to you about something. And I, and I know it's a, a personal thing, but it's really important to me. And maybe here's why my parents got divorced. I've been divorced before. I want us to have realistic expectations going to this. I want to have some conversations surrounding a prenuptial agreement. I don't know if we need one yet, but I want to talk about what each of our expectations are in terms of finances and roles, et cetera, during the marriage. Some of the things that will be touched upon during those conversations may not make it into a prenup. I, I, my parents are older and I really don't ever want to put them in to a nursing home. I'd like them to live with us if, if, if that, when they get old, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be in a prenup, but mm-hmm. that's something people often don't discuss. Or yeah. I really want my kids to go to a religious based school. You know, I know we don't have kids, but can we talk about that? Or I don't know that I want to go back to work after we, after we have kids and I need to talk about that because you've got two people that are entering into hopefully a life together. And if you don't really have those honest conversations or how about I'm 35, I don't ever want to sleep on a futon again. If we're going to travel, I want to go and stay in a hotel. Are you cool with that? Or how much are we putting aside for retirement? Having some of those not super sexy conversations is, um, I think, really, really important Mm -hmm. to maintaining a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You also see people that they're theoretically one of the worst times of their life. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of emotion, a lot of tears. You must have tons of boxes of tissues around your office. Lots of tissues. Do you like what you're doing? I do. I like what I'm doing, not because I see people at the most miserable times of their lives. I like what I'm doing because I feel like I'm a problem solver. I mean, you know, and I've been doing it for a while. I'm pretty good at it. I have. Uh, that's an understatement. Good relationships. You're top hundred in California. Probably <laughs> top hundred in America. With my, with You're my humble. colleagues, <laughs> I'm humble. I have good relationships with my colleagues, so I can often call them up and say, "Okay, well, let's cut the bullshit. What are we going to do with this? Whatever." Almost from the very beginning of a case, with the first time somebody comes in and tells me their fact situation. Uh, it's like a puzzle. I'm figuring out, okay, this is probably how it's going to go down. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. So yeah, I really do like it because I see that people are in pain. And I think a large percentage of that pain comes from the unknown and the fear and the the not being settled. And once you get resolved and settled, I'd say to people all the time, in one year from today, one year from today, you will feel totally different. You yeah. will call me or text me from wherever you are and you will say, Laura Wasser, kudos, you were right. I am happier, I am better, I am less sad, I am less scared, whatever it is, but you will not feel the way you feel right now. Mm. What do you have to do inside yourself to withstand some of the turmoil and chaos that you have to step into to fix the puzzle, solve the puzzle? Or are you just sort of inured to it at this point? Yeah, I've always been somewhat impervious to that. It's uh-huh. not my turmoil. I mean, yeah. they always say, like, how are you so calm? I said, it's not happening to me. I mean, that's why. And thankfully, I, I do have colleagues who I've watched get completely personal and embroiled in these situations. And I think that's really, really dangerous. I don't think that that's a service to the client. And those colleagues will sometimes end up burning out. I mean, you spend too much money. You spend too much anxiety and, and animosity. It doesn't make sense. Your job is to be the rock, the calm professional that says, let's let's chill. And when In the title of your book, I'm going to read it so I make sure I get it right. It doesn't have to be that we had a divorce without destroying your family or bankrupting yourself. People, in my experiences, have gotten themselves so married to a position that they're just not going to change their mind. And then they end up spending gazillions of dollars, you know, harvesting that animosity to make sure that that point of view, you know, lasts throughout. I'm going to guess that you have spent time counseling people that perhaps they should be less uh, fixated on winning. Yes. 
I mean, I'll often say like, what are your main goals? Some, if somebody has, like somebody comes in and says, I just, I really need to have equal custody of my kids. It's my most important thing, whatever. And that's their position. I'm not going to try to change their mind about that. Again, I will try. It doesn't have to be 50% down to the hour. I don't like hour counting. But if it is, you know, I just must stay in the family residence and that doesn't make sense from a financial perspective, then I'm going to I mean, there have been times where I've said to people, I don't think we're going to be able to work together because I think you are not being completely reasonable about this and I don't want to see you disappointed. I can't make that happen for you. And particularly in the entertainment industry where you have a lot of people, not just entertainment industry, I think it's high net worth. When you have people that have are used to being told yes all the time, either because they are very wealthy or very famous, it's very hard to be the person who says no to them. But I'm not saying no because I don't like them or I don't want them to do well. I'm saying no because I know what the law will allow. Law's pretty cut and dry. So if that's not going to happen, I'm going to say no. And I have had clients that have said, okay, well, then I'm going to go find someone that will say yes. They've found someone who will say yes. You know, six months and hundreds of thousands of dollars later, they will say they said yes, but the judge didn't say yes. I right. should have listened to you in the first place. Right, right. I mean, maybe it's just ego. I don't like to lose. That's probably right. what it is. I don't yeah. want to be set up for for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do in your spare time? Well, I have two kids, so I spend a <laughs> lot of time with them. I don't have any spare time now that I think about it. Um, we have a place up at the beach, a trailer in the Point Doom trailer park, so we spend a I lot had of a time place there. there for years. So I want to go back to your app because I think that it's yeah. it's just so amazing because, you know, I want to acknowledge you for the entrepreneurship, but also for the sort of generosity and bigness of heart to create something like this with sort of the DNA of how you practice, right? right? So $900 an hour average to, to hire a lawyer. Pretty right. pretty hefty, steep, heavy dollar, as they say in New York. It's yes. heavy dollar. Uh, this is a this is a, a service that you can tap into for seven, beginning at seven hundred fifty dollars. Yes. yes, and is it fundamentally heavily informed pro se divorce? What yes. is it? It is basically an online mediation site. So and the it's, name we know that you t- tell our listeners the name. It's called It's Over Easy, and um, what became evident to me, not only after the book, but just after practicing for so long, is that there's this big mystique to family law, which in many cases there doesn't need to be. And and I am a big proponent of access to justice. It bothers me as an Angelina that I've been here my whole life and that there's so many people that live in the same city as I do that can't afford so many of the things that I can afford in terms of you know, housing, in terms of school for my kids, in terms of transportation. There's not much I can do about that except give back money or whatever. But for access to justice, if you sit down in L.A. Superior Court, and I've also now through the app traveled to Miami-Dade and I've, and I've gone to Georgia and seen their central courthouses and see how difficult it is for somebody that doesn't have an attorney to go through the system on their own. And if English isn't their first language, even more so. Um, I and wanted, if they're poor, forget right, about it. Right. So I wanted to make it easier for people to be able to educate themselves, get through the process, and also have the other resources that they need. So we created It's Over Easy, which is an online divorce app. You can go c- sign on. We did a lot of market research. The average divorce in the United States is $15,000 per person. Okay. That's the average. That's state, countrywide. What um, people have to pay to get divorced. Right. 
and yeah. per person. So per a person. couple's so going to spend lawyers, 30. Court fees, forensic yeah. accounts, whatever else it is. So what we decided to do is have something that would have a range of 750 to 2500 is the most that you would spend on a divorce, all in on this app. And so you go on and you answer questions and you go through it, whatever. But there's also a lot of videos of me and other professionals talking and educating them through the process because people don't like to read. I get that. They're also on both sides of the actual platform where you're getting divorced. And before you ever pay a dollar is tons of content, content from people who have gone through it, content from professionals, um, financial planners. There's content from child therapists. There's content from people who will help you move or get a new mortgage. So all of these people writing their stories. Also, because we started doing the Divorce Sucks podcast, we have all of the podcast episodes. And so we've, I've interviewed whether it is, it's a, whether it's a financial planner, whether it's a, you know, an expert regarding child custody or child therapy to famous people that have gone through it because we know Everybody likes to hear what famous people have gone through when they've been divorcing or co-parenting. So we have that all on the content. And then on the other side, we've got something called the index, which is anybody that you could ever imagine that you would need either during the process or after. Because I know it doesn't just end with me in my office. I've had, you know, dads that said, thanks so much for getting me custody. Now what do I do with the kid, you know? And so we've got the rock climbing walls that you can sign up and take your kids to. We've got childcare services. We've got moving services. If you need insurance because it's no longer available through your spouse's employer, we have insurance brokers, everything on the index. And then we have dating apps and spray tan and teeth whitening and stylists <laughs> and the real real and we're Worthy, the engagement ring consignment company. So you sell your ring and, you know, buy a new car or whatever it is. All of these are on the index because we know that people need more than just going through this because you're on your own. So we're trying to create a community mm-hmm. for people so An that ecosystem. they have support yeah. so that they can get through it and so that they can kind of function. And really, bottom line is raise healthier generations who will do better during their marriages, divorces, cohabitation, co-parenting, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is. And that was really important to me. I mean, it just seemed like it was necessary. And I love doing it. Clearly, I love talking about it. I want to get the message out there. And I want to really, we call it the evolution of dissolution because it is mind-boggling to me that the law and that the approach to divorce has changed so little, not just in the 25 years I've been practicing, but in the 51 years that I've been alive. Mm-hmm. It hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I'm, that's what yeah. I'm doing. www.itsoveresy.com. Yes. Okay. Yes. And Great. it'll pop right up, find it. Like I said, come play around. If you have a friend that's going through it or a or a, you know, relative that's going through it, it doesn't cost anything to come read and and just support check your it friend. Out. Yeah. Do you have information on there that's helpful to people to help their children deal emotionally with these divorces? Yes, we have an article called, you know, how to tell your children. I don't have the answers to these things, but I know enough people and have worked in this industry for long enough so that I call someone up and say, hey, would you write an article for me for our content section? And they're happy to. I mean, most people want to figure out a way to kind of give back and spread the message. So we've just done amazing kind of collaborations, have stuff out there. Like I said, with the index, you can then find that person who wrote the article. And if you want to go see him or her, contact them directly. It really is creating an ecosystem of people that can help get through this. You're very productive. <laughs> That's why I don't have any free time. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a book. You have an app. 
And you have your own podcast. Yes. And let's talk about your podcast. So the Divorce Sex Podcast was basically a way, again, to kind of get the message out there. We thought it would be fun to do. I really enjoy it. Um, my producer, Johnny Rains, is a friend that I've had since high school, and he is head of content on, on the website, too. And so he you know, said, well, would you do this? And I said, I, where am I going to find another hour a week? He said, I'll do it. We'll help find the guest. And we started doing it and I've really enjoyed it. And I know that people, we have over a million downloads now. People are listening. Like I said, it's free. If there's a way to give access to people to kind of, I, they don't even have to join the conversation. They can just listen to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. If it's helping, I, I'm in. And for everybody, it's divorce sucks exclamation point. exclamation point <laughs> catchy name <laughs> and divorce does suck well it does and it doesn't i mean like what i think your message really is you know haha it sucks it does suck but like there's a there's a path yes that doesn't have to suck as much exactly yeah it's kind of like getting you know a melanoma removed okay it's not going to be fun it's happening you have to get it off and then you move on and you move on with your same skin that you always had. It's just a little bit better right now. And you figure out the best way to deal with it. I'm not promoting divorce. Oh, the Christian Reich really loves me. I get a lot of letters from them too. We're not promoting it. It's already happening. So right. if it's already happening, how do we help people deal with it in a healthier way? And like I said, healthier for their children. Mm -hmm. how, many, how many marriages end up in divorce? Statistics say half of them, but again, it's it's skewed. It's weird. We don't know when people are separating versus filing for divorce. I believe the data shows that more second marriages end up in divorce. If you've been divorced once, it's more likely you'll get divorced again. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I it, it and it's all really old. Have you had repeat data. customers? <laughs> oh my god, yes. I have my what I call my annuities. I have customers, clients that I've represented many times over. They trust us. We've been doing it a long time. I mean, the firm when my dad started it has been around since 1976. So you know, we've had people that we represented for years and years and years, and then they died, and then, you know, their kids, we represent their kids. So we have developed some very trusting, you know, familial relationships with people. However, unlike you, Rebecca, most of the time when people are done with their divorces, they don't necessarily, like, want to hang out. Like, the best I can hope for is if they see me in a restaurant a year later. <laughs> right, they kind of give, give me the, the high sign. Right. Thank you, you know, <laughs> no, don't I have. come over to the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this before um, we sat down for the interview that a lot of the people that I've seen in my business that have gotten divorced have remained friends. Yes. And I, I think, too, that um, they made an intentional decision to remain friends and not have animosity. A lot of times, you know, what I've seen, the, the two biggest occurrent you know things that that cause divorces to occur in my in the in the world that I live in is spending and drugs. I have seen people, perfectly lovely people all of a sudden become addicted to painkillers or cocaine right excessively like all of a sudden i see a girl who had a darling little figure who's emaciated right i'm like oh well i think she must be doing drugs so drugs is one and spending is the other one and i i see it today still i have seen um we know somebody in common that um is now on his div i think fourth divorce and every single one of the women that he was married to became drug addicted and it's a bad um, sign. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, what are you doing? Right. But and they and they're just they can't work through that, and they become that that has been something that I've seen more than once. The spending, I think, is probably the single biggest argument that I see and amongst people. 
and the <gasps> yeah. incident to construction. construction. I don't think that until you're really tested in a marriage, because everybody gets together and everything's great, and then life comes along. Mm-hmm. You know, death, you know, strain, infertility, infidelity, mm-hmm. infertility, all kinds of things, spending, you know, all kinds of things. But I, I firmly believe that if there's nothing that's that wrong, Try to work it out. I agree. You know, try to get through it. And and f- frequently I've seen people look back and go, I don't know why I got divorced from him or her. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that bad. Right. But they did. Well, and this goes back to a comment that I read in some of the notes that were, you know, prepared, that the difference between a famous wealthy person and just a regular person is just zeros mm-hmm. because it's the same, the same sets of issues that provoke the sort of dissatisfaction that leads to the dissolution. Yeah, I call it the divorce is the great equalizer. It really, no matter how many zeros there are, you're still going to be scared. You're still going to be angry. You're still going to be sad. You're still going to have, you know, social public embarrassment, whether it's going down the red carpet or just going to the, you know, going block to church. party, church, whatever. Yeah. Those same emotions totally make their way through all of it. And so that's why I think it's really important that we're talking about it, that people realize that that they see people who've come out the other end, whether it's somebody that they really admire, like a Gwyneth Paltrow, or if it's just like the person that's the head of the church choir. She did it. I can do it. Yeah. He has time with his kids. I'm going to make time with my kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it really is helpful. But obviously, because so many people have approached divorce with shame, that they don't want to talk about it. And, they, you know, what I'm saying is, if you've gone through it, pay it forward. Talk to somebody else about your experience. Show them how okay you are now. That is kind of the best way, mm-hmm. I think, to kind to put a pin and heal at the mm-hmm. very end of whatever mm-hmm. you've done. And you've done a lot of public speaking on that topic. Yes. You know, which is very, very helpful to people. It's a, it's tough. I mean, you're getting people at their worst. You yes. know, between that and illness, there's nothing more, there's nothing much worse than that. Yes, that is so. true. It, you have this glow about you. You're like, just in the green juice. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that was good you know, lighting. <laughs> but, you, but you smile all the time. I smile a lot. I mean, like I, you know, I, I'm very blessed. I I really have had the benefit of an amazing family, amazing circle of friends. The people at my firm are, are like family to me. My assistant is wonderful. My partners at the firm are wonderful. The folks that are working with me at It's Over Easy are like a handful of some of my closest friends that were like, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Um, my kids are healthy. They, I so enjoy being with them. They make me laugh. Their dads are amazing. I've got an awesome boyfriend. Like I literally get in bed every night, read, and then like turn off the light and just smile and say my life is good. And I want to, I don't mean to sound like such a Pollyanna. Definitely. I have shit days too, but I want to, I mean, I want to give it back. I want to, I know it's not always going to be this way. My, both of my parents I've kind of lived through cancer in the last couple of years. My dad was really, really sick 2016, 17. Then in 2018, my mom told me she had pancreatic cancer, stage four. She's working through that. Like we say like the wasser's wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> um, I love you know, it. I, every day I just, because any minute things could change. So yeah. I'm just trying to enjoy it while it's yeah. there because right now it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You really yeah. model You really model a nice, a nice, steady, confident, you know, kind of feeling of just possibility, which I think is super important when you're in that space with people who are making such drastic 
changes yes. in their lives. Knowing they can get through yeah. it, knowing I've been through yeah. it. Like, you know, there's, in terms of the finances, you know, one of my exes gives me some money each month for our kid. The other one, I give money each month. So people say, well, you don't understand. I say, oh, I understand. Both uh-huh. sides of it, I understand. I understand that side. I understand the other side. I understand the co-parenting. I know what that feeling is when you get home and nobody's there because they're at their other parent. I, I get it all. And I, and it's all, you know, painful, but it's also all workable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is all workable. So I would like to suggest to people that are listening, take a breath, you know, chill. think, chill it out, <laughs> you know, think it through. And then if it's, you know, you decide that you want to uncouple, as Gwyneth Paltrow said, then uncouple graciously. Right. You know, don't try to kill each other. No. There's no upside in that. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Laura, it was so good. It was really, really good. Really lovely talking to you, Laura. It was a pleasure. Thank you for that. Thanks. Next time, we welcome Fran Drescher, the multi-talented actress, comedian, writer, and activist. Fran is best known for her breakout show, The Nanny, the wildly successful 90s sitcom that she created, wrote, and starred in. Her character, Fran Fine, with her signature Queen's accent and brash, charming, flashy style, was one of the first Jewish women to be portrayed on TV and one of the first women to spearhead and act in her own sitcom. The Nanny became a huge sensation, so big, in fact, that it tied household ratings with the now-infamous mega-hit, Roseanne. Now, 25 years later, with the resurgence for 90s nostalgia, Fran has never been more popular. The Instagram account at WhatFranMore has more than 250,000 followers. Fans on Twitter launched a campaign for a reboot of The Nanny, starring the appropriately cast Cardi B. Fran is busier than ever, from Broadway to comedy to TV to indie films. She's an advocate for women's health issues and her second book, Cancer Schmancer, about her own fight with uterine cancer led to the creation of her own organization to promote policy change, early detection, and prevention of cancer. So join us when we rewind to the beginning with this Jane of all trades and the multi-talented Fran Drescher on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.